Alrighty, welcome to the Act of Podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Prescott from Our Westward Hearts. And Prescott is an incredible wedding filmmaker. I'm actually inspired a lot in terms of my own work, my own edits from watching his work on Instagram as well as his website. So if you want to be inspired, if you really want to think of new ways to edit your films, go to Instagram, go to Our Westward Hearts, or go online to ourwestwardhearts.com, check out his work. Prescott just has a really good insight and ways of working with editors on choosing the right music, on you know knowing when to do certain things in your business that might be a little bit more risky. So I'm super excited about this conversation. We're going to be talking about all those things, and we even have some wedding horror stories for you guys, which I'm so pumped about. All right, well, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Listeners don't know, but you've been doing weddings for a while and kind of like making a living from it for, for a while. I mean, how long have you been officially doing weddings? I think I think I started do, doing camera stuff again in 2012 and 2014, I think was my first year that I was like really going for it. But I don't know, I've, I'm foggy on the details. But uh, I mean, I started out because I didn't have a job when I like really started going. I've always been doing this as my main source of income. I never had another job as a backup or, you know, um, right, right. And I think that's cool, but there's also a lot of value in having a job where you don't have to worry about this side of stuff. Yeah, because I how, felt those those growing pains and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, how did you get through those seasons? Because 2014, I mean, that's six, seven years of kind of like in between weddings and kind of corporate work and kind of and you just said, hey, I got really serious in 2019. So, how was how were those seasons like? What did you do to make sure that you could like actually live from this, even though you weren't doing it legitimately full time? Well, I don't know. I just tried to book as many weddings for as much as possible. <laughs> like when, you know, I, I got married in 2016. Um, so obviously there's a next level of kind of commitment and, and intentionality with like, okay, now it's not just me. I have to think about mm. um, my expenses, tr you know, quadrupled, blah, 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 paying my own rent and yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I honestly, it was just luck and blessing. And I, I, I like, I tried, you know, I tried to get work obviously, but, um, there wasn't, I wasn't ever thinking two steps ahead. I was, I was literally thinking like a couple months ahead at best, you know, so it was really flying by the seat of my pants. That's really encouraging to hear though. Cause I think a lot of people, they've been doing it for two years and they're like, oh man, I'm kind of like barely living month to month. I'm kind of living by the seat of my pants. I see, you know, when you go onto your Instagram, uh, guys, if you haven't checked it out, our Westward Hearts, Prescott stuff's incredible. You go on there and you see your films and you're like, man, this guy has it together. He's making incredible films. But like, what would you tell people who are like, man, I've been doing it for a couple of years and I still feel like I barely have things together. <laughs> and you've been doing it for how long? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty normal. <laughs> I think I think that's an okay spot to be because it's it's exciting. I get it. It's super stressful, but with that, like you have a lot of freedom to do stuff. Um, that's tried. That's how I tried to approach it. And I think in twenty, it was like twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I talked to a buddy and 
um, he's not in the wedding video world or anything related to it. And we were uh, hanging out and he was just like, dude, just like, just raise your prices. Your work is good enough. And he was kind of like flippantly like, yeah, whatever, just do it. And, and so I was like, what if I did just do it? And I, I, I was talking to Jenna, my wife, Jenna, uh, about it. And I was just like, well, let's just do it. And, and so I, I just bumped up my prices. Like, I think it was like two or three grand at the time to like four to six grand. And I didn't see a, I didn't see a dip at all. Whoa. Okay. I, and want, that, I like, want you to talk about that a little bit more. Cause you were, how long were you at two or three grand? I don't know. It, it was, um, I think my first, the first time I hit a $4,000 wedding, I remember that one. That, I think that was 20, um, 16, 2016. Okay. So, so if I started in 2014, I was, I remember certain price points being all excited. Like one of them was 1800. And then I think it was kind of floating around in the 3200 range for a little while. Right. And then four grand. And then I just, I think I bumped it up to starting at four grand instead of the biggest at four grand, something like that. So what were your feelings? Cause I know like a lot of people are just, they're at two grand for years, for three to four years and, or five or six years. Like when you had that conversation with Jenna, your wife, like, was it, were you nervous? Like, I know your friend just said, just do it. But like, what were you actually feeling <laughs> inside to do that? Were you like, oh, my work's not good. Like, w- kind of walk me through that. <laughs> I I don't know if there's a deep answer to that. Because yeah. I, I know a lot of people have a lot of identity wrapped up in it. And there's a lot of fear and whatnot. Um, I felt that to a degree, for sure. But I was, I was to me, there's always going to be another inquiry. And there's always going to be more opportunity. And if I botched it, you know, so I was doing calls like, and I still do calls with couples before I even send them pricing. So I can mess around with my pricing all the time. And so that, that's what I did. I, I, I felt good about my call process. Um, huge thanks to you for that. Um, but, um, (laughs) um, but yeah, so I think just if they yeah, I don't know. I just did it, and it seemed to work. So that's kind my of crazy. my thing was like. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm still formulating the thought. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, because I think so many. It's crazy with raising your prices because, yeah, I think there's two camps of people. One, which I'd say is the majority of filmmakers who are like, I I know I have to, I know I need to, but my work's not good enough. I'm not. I, I kind of like want to wait to get to this point in my life. It's kind of like getting married, right? You know, people just sit on the sidelines or having kids. They're like, oh, I want to get to here before I have kids or here before I get married. And really, like, I think the majority opinion is, hey, you're never going to be fully ready. Some of the best, I was just watching a Casey Neistat video. He just released like an online course or something. And he's talking about like some of the best advice he ever got. And other people are saying some of the best advice they got from him was, if you're passionate about something, just start, like just do the thing. And you're, yeah. you're never going to know until you actually jump. You're never going to know which errors you're going to make until you jump. So I think what you're echoing, what you're telling me and what I'd encourage everyone listening is, Hey, um, just raise your prices. Like pretty much everyone across the board is undervaluing themselves. So even if you yeah. just started out and you're like, hey, I can't go five or 6,000, that's fine. More so get in the mental space of 
just raise it a hundred bucks. After this podcast, I want you to just raise your prices a hundred dollars so you get like yeah. not scared. So like I yeah. love that whole idea of just doing it. Yeah. I mean it's the it's the it's kind of the the cliche thing, right? And and sometimes when you're in that uh, and I felt this for sure, like I, I'm wanting to push into commercial stuff and I'm I'm letting my, you know, fear of, you know, but I have so much to do. I'll do that next month. Literally for th- three or four years, I've been doing that every every season. Oh, I'll do it in January. That's where I'm at right now. I got I'll do it in January. I just got to get through Christmas and deliver these films, and you know. Um, but anyway, with like the pricing and stuff, they don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to. You don't know it until you know it. It's like the when you get married, you don't know until you know about that person, and it's like the most annoying advice when you're the single person waiting to get married or whatever. But when you get there, you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, like I did it. And it's like, hey, I jumped the hump and I'm here. And like a lot yeah. of the things that you were worried about aren't actually the things that matter. <laughs> yeah. And and what I was saying there, like there's always going to be another increase. If you blow it with this one, you tell them, oh, yeah, my pricing starts at five grand and they laugh you out of the room, whatever. Like or if they, it, they're not going to do that. They're just going to they'll say, oh, OK. And then you'll go through your spiel and then they'll get off the phone and they'll ghost you or whatever. And you got to detach yourself from it and just move on. Because, yeah, there, there's always going to be another person, right? And then have yeah. you ever, like, because if you tell them five grand over the phone and they're like, whoa, 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 that's too expensive, do you ever, like, try to work with them? If, say, your initial pricing was two grand and you increased it to five grand, will you ever, like, hey, maybe I'll try to work with you to get you closer to maybe three grand, but you're still at it, you know, you've still raised your prices from the two, but they don't know you were at two before. Like, yeah, totally. I mean, so when I... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when they would they would ask me like straight up, like if I can discount it or whatever, I would say I don't offer straight discounts, but I'm always open to adjusting the the, the package, the film gotcha. collection, whatever you call it. So how would so you do that? So say if you had your package right with, um, so say you get on the phone with someone and they're like, and you're like five grand, and they say, oh, too expensive, but you really want to work with this couple, but you don't do discounts, and say. I'm just making up a package of they have the three to five minute wedding film, you know, three cameras, you know, uh, two filmmakers, yada, yada, yada. How would you adjust that while lowering the price but not giving a discount? Like what would be an example of that? Yeah. Um, uh, one, I was just thinking one one of the things with discounting, like for me that I I really don't like feeling like there's any sort of being taken advantage of in a situation. And so that's why, you know, if you say your prices with confidence, they're not going to blink and they might come back and say, Hey, can you, can you do this or whatever? And you just tell them, you just, you tell them the situation Mm. and express like, I am willing to, especially if you, one, if you need to book it and two, if you want to book the wedding because it's cool or whatever, then you have incentive on your own side of things to, to do that. I would, you know, I would shorten the film, um, I would do less hours of coverage as long as I could still feel comfortable delivering the length of film that I need to. I single shoot most of my stuff now and I'll always have. I mean, I've had two shooters like plenty of times, obviously. Right. But um, so sometimes that would be a talking point like, hey, you know, you're winning. We might we could probably get away with one or whatever it is like. So take away things and then you still get the opportunity to pitch them the price mm. and say, Hey, I'll take this out, but it would cost this much. 
you know? Yeah. I've done the similar thing. I, only uh, I'd say the majority of people that are like, Hey, your price is too much. I'll just let them slide. Um, if like, I don't really, really want to shoot the wedding, but there are a couple weddings where it's like, man, this couple would be sick to shoot and yeah. say, I've quoted them seven or six or five. And they're like, Hey, can you do, you know, a thousand dollars less or $1,500 less? And you, you kind of get it like, always with this process, I would encourage people to like trust your gut. Like if you feel like they're trying to take advantage of you and you feel like, okay, they have the money, they're just trying to get a discount, like go with your gut. But then there's, yeah. I think you'll hundred percent know when you're talking with a couple, you talk with them on the phone and they're like, man, already at the price we had in our mind that was over our budget. And you kind of like really talked with them. That's why a phone call is so important because you can kind of get to know their heart. And if you get the sense that one, you really want to shoot the wedding and two, they're not trying to take advantage of you, then kind of employ this strategy, which I'm sure you've kind of encountered as well as like, you know, when someone's just trying to get a deal and you also know when someone's like, okay, I really want to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, just reading them, reading who they are and, and kind of getting a sense of that through the call has, has been super like helpful over the years. Um, yeah. One, it makes me, it helps me feel comfortable but it, yeah, it helps me get to know them. You know, they can sell me on, uh, there's no active selling like on who they are and all of right, that, but right. I just get to know them. So when they do ask, I'm a, my, I'm a little softer. To that <laughs> You're not just want like, the wedding. No. <laughs> Slam yeah, yeah. in their face. Dude, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what a lot of people need to hear is just like, yeah, raise your prices and then also don't be scared to navigate a package around to lower the price just a little bit to book that client. So, yeah. So kind of like on that idea of pricing and kind of early beginning. So I know, so me and Prescott go way back. I've known him for a while, I actually shot his wedding. So that was pretty awesome. And, yeah. uh, he, let's see, when you first started, you were kind of just doing everything, you know, anyone that would shoot or hire you to shoot their wedding you were doing. And then you ha he has this one story I kind of want him to tell. So he, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure so many people can, this relate. is not even that old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so many people can relate of like, Hey, I'm posting on Craigslist. I'm posting on Instagram. I'm just going to my crazy distant aunt and uncle, like, Hey, do you have a wedding? Can I shoot it? But I want you to tell the story because it's, I think educational for one, it's just a funny story. And then two, um, when you're starting out, you should, don't be afraid of just putting yourself out there and doing stuff. So you have the story of when you posted something on Craigslist and you got a wedding, which turned out to be like totally what you weren't expecting. Uh, mm -hmm. so first, why did you post on Craigslist? And then like, take me through that story. Okay. So I actually posted on Craigslist for like the first three years of doing weddings. And like, that's where I got my work. That's where I got everything. Okay, what? That's so weird because that's not talked about. Everyone's like, Wedding Wire or YouTube. Okay, it's what? I didn't even know you did it for three years. I, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Because I used to sell like firewood on Craigslist because one summer, I know this is a tangent, whatever, but uh, my parents cut down a tree and I was like, oh, I could cut it down. I could <laughs> chop it up and sell firewood for the summer. And that's how I made my money for a summer. So I was like, oh, I could do Craigslist for weddings. It's, you know, same idea. And that's how I did it. But, um, yeah. Well, anyway, that's why I did it. Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so what were your listings like, like magical wedding videographer for hire Prescott? Dude, I don't, 
I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I know I had like a graphic with my logo or something, and I, I did some little spiel, and then uh, I probably listed my pricing just right there. I don't remember. And so, so this one... And obviously, Craigslist doesn't really exist anymore, but... Well, kind of, kind of. It's it like, does, it's, I like, don't know. it's like the black black market of the internet. <laughs> so, so you did this yeah. one Craigslist posting, and this was what, how, how far into doing Craigslist stuff? I think this is probably the first year or two. Okay, so, so tell me business. that story. Walk me through kind of initial post and wedding and the whole thing. Yeah, um, they, they booked me. Um, he was like, I work in the, the movies and, and, uh, I don't remember the process of booking them. I don't remember anything like that. We, we got on the phone, did, you know, did the normal process. Didn't really tell me who he was or whatever. He's just like, you know, I want it. I don't want it to be shared because, you know, there's going to be some people there. And I don't know, I grew up in LA area and I was like, yeah, there's going to be people there. Okay. Um, you know, it's probably some sister who's been in a commercial once or something, but, um, yeah. So I go through the day and I'm filming the day. And, How much did you get paid um, for the wedding? Probably like $1,800. Okay. Was that high for you I at think, that time? Yeah, I was pretty, pretty stoked. Okay. All right. And it was in Palm Springs. It was at the Ace Hotel actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. One and only time filming there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was just going through the day and was talking to the officiant. And I was like, oh, he's a cool guy, miking him up the whole bit. And then um, I'm starting to film the guests arriving, finishing setting up all the gear. And I'm looking through my T3i or whatever I had. <laughs> um, and I'm looking through and in walks uh, Christopher Nolan. And I instantly recognize him because, it, okay, so this might age it better. It was like the summer after Interstellar came out. Uh, it was like a few months or something. So maybe it was later than what I'm remembering. I don't remember when it came out. Um, and so, and I knew I knew him from, it's right. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> and so instantly... <laughs> I'll never, oh man, when you're like straight up nervous and freaking out, you, you can't, you know me, yeah. you can't, you just start shaking. So I was behind the camera, like frozen, thinking that people could see me because I, you know, could see them up close with the lens and everything. And, um, and so, yeah, Christopher Nolan walks in and I started sweating and getting all weak. I was like, I got to eat something. And then, um, and then I was just like, got to be professional, keep, keep working. And, um, like two minutes later, I'm doing, the, I'm shooting more people and Anne Hathaway walks in <laughs> and, just, and I know like, <laughs> you just pee your pants. I, yeah. And I know like people have shot weddings with big name people all the time, whatever, but this is like my first and really one of my only forays into that world. And, and I was this like, is like oh your first gosh. year shooting too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I felt so self-conscious the entire time because I thought, Christopher Nolan might see this and he's going to judge everything about it. <laughs> and I stressed out, oh, and turns out the officiant was Jonathan Nolan. And as soon as I saw Christopher Nolan, I recognized Jonathan, Jonathan Nolan. So I was like, oh no. And, you know, cause I was chatting with him like all normal and everything. And he was very normal and it was great. Everyone was wonderful. Um, yeah, I slaved over that film for way too long and 
Jen and I were dating at the time, it, it looked, it took me like two months to like sort through it and get it like to a point where I felt it was perfect. I just wouldn't send it out until like I slaved over like a 20 second snippet for weeks, stuff that you shouldn't do. So yeah. And how do <laughs> anyway, like, you, looking amazing. back on that film now, are you still proud of that film years and years later? Or are you just like, man, I was... I suck. I haven't watched it since I delivered it. What? Really? Yeah. Why? I was, because dude, when I, when I would edit, I would slave over something so much that I wanted to be done with it. And so I just like, let it go. I don't, I don't remember it. I remember <laughs> certain like things that I was like really worked up about, but I don't remember. Oh my gosh. And didn't you like, like, you're like filming dancing, right? And normally it's just like drunk grandma, but like I'm filming Anne Hathaway. <laughs> like. Yeah, she it was yeah, she was yeah. She was dancing, she was going for it. She was great. She was a ham. She oh, was man. super normal and just having a blast and everyone yeah. Dude. She was just like one of the girls, you know. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I still like I feel like the odd man out. Like I have all these friends who have shot famous people's weddings and I was like I still haven't. I've gotten inquiries for them and they always like fall through. Like I remember I got an inquiry for uh, I was talking to Taylor Lautner's sister and we were like, okay. I even had like a phone call and her emails back and forth. And she's like super interested. And she's like, yeah, shark boy is going to be like in my bridal party. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like my first celebrity wedding or whatever. And kind of, <laughs> but not really. And like that fell through. I don't even know what shark boy is. So Taylor Lautner, he was shark boy and like lava girl in this like weird kids movie. He's also the twilight guy. Yeah. And I knew that. But yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably just still never seen to like all these people. I've still never seen Twilight, so okay. I don't know if he was a shark. Me neither. I, <laughs> I saw a commercial. Shapeshifter. Yeah, and then I got okay. another inquiry. I think for um, Debbie Ryan, who is like a Disney person. Uh, okay. And then it was weird. Like her mom inquired and was like, "My daughter is getting married. She loves your work." Blah blah blah. And it was weird because it was a mom. I'm like, "Hey, I'd like to like talk with them because it just felt weird like talking to the mom." And then. They like ghosted me and I never heard from them again. So I was just like, well, maybe one day, but you, you got it at the very beginning and there you go. You don't need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Got it out of the way. Got it out of the way. But like, but no the, one ever saw the film. So yeah. it didn't anyway. <laughs> maybe it didn't exist. Maybe this is all a lie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I made this up. So kind of on the topic of wedding stories, because so every year when I, for a couple of years, we'd do venture and then we'd have the panel of all like the teachers and some, some of my favorite parts of the Q&A when all the teachers would sit there, all the other wedding filmmakers and the students would like or people in attendance would ask questions. My favorite part of those panels was like wedding horror stories. And so yeah. uh, like I so I know Prescott and I know I know he has a couple. So I kind of prepped him <laughs> before this podcast. Yeah. But like. What is one of your wedding horror stories? Because no matter if you've been shooting weddings for one day or 10 years, everyone has a wedding horror story and it's like the best thing ever hearing other wedding filmmakers. So like, tell me just like one of yours that you kind of remember. Yeah. Um, it's funny because like you, you read about some of these stories on the groups and you're just like, wow, I've never had anything that wild happen. <laughs> you know, you've had the drunk couple or blah, blah, blah. But like nothing that I thought ever was like a standout thing. Right. Um, but I, yeah, you reminded me of this one. But uh, this one isn't something that, a, you know, a guest did or the couple did, but what I did. 
um, hopefully unbeknownst to, to the couple, but they, well, to an extent, but basically I, I was filming this wedding, um, back in California and it was, uh, two hours away. It was two hours away out in the desert. And so I drove out, drove back same day and I was shooting it with a buddy and it was, you know, great day, all of that. And I have a, a cart, you know, for all my gear. We all, a lot of us use carts. And, um, after the wedding, I would always, you know, put my belt thing that I wear with the cards and everything in the cart. And so do all that. I get home, go to bed. I don't offload at night, which I know is a problem, <laughs> but I, I just didn't off, you know, I, I just don't do it. So I, I went to bed and woke up the next morning and I was searching through my gear for the cards. And normally I have them in this very specific place and they weren't there. And I started rifling through everything. Wait, so all, all your cards from the whole day were in this pouch? Oh yeah, yeah. All of my cards, <laughs> all the footage. Cause I pull them out of the cameras and put them in this card wallet thing. Oh. And it was like, it was like a, a it was a custom made, but um, I had a buddy make a leather. Uh, <laughs> Guys, if you don't SD know, card wallet really extra. So here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything is custom made yeah. for me. But uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, and so it just had a bunch of card slots. You know, it wasn't like a Pelican one where it's airtight and watertight and all that. Right. It was just a little thing. And uh, yeah, so I was looking through trying to find it all. I started freaking out because it wasn't in my car. I was like, is it under the carpets in the car, the floor mats? Where is it? And I woke up, Jenna. I was like, I have, I, I have no idea. And I was, I was freaking out because this is like your nightmare situation. Like I have recurring dreams that I'm going to, the ceremony is going to start without me. And I'm like a football field away or something. And I have to like run up and put mics on or whatever. But I was, I was like, I don't have the money. I can't afford to pay these people back. Oh. And because that's why, that's my always, my big fear is like somehow I'm going to lose the footage or screw up or something and have to pay them back. And for someone that doesn't offload their cards directly after the wedding, that's a good fear to have, I suppose. But um, yeah, so I texted the couple. This is where I was like, I, I don't, I didn't have anyone's contact info except for the brides. <clears throat> oh my gosh. And so I texted the bride at like 9 a.m. the day after their wedding, <laughs> which is like tail between the legs moment. I, you know, I just didn't know what else to do. So I texted her. I was like, hey, I forgot some gear um, that they had the wedding at their ranch house. They had like a, her dad had a ranch at, the, at your at your place. Um, is are, You know, are there people there? Can I... Can they look or can I drive back down? And oh. so so the sister ended up, she, she was like, oh yeah, here's my sister's number. So we drove two hours. What and, were you thinking in the, the whole way there? I was going very fast. <laughs> and I, I, do, I had no idea. I was like, I had to have lost it on the walk from you know, the reception to the car. And it was a big dirt field. And... Um, we saw a coyote that night, and so I was like, what if a coyote got it? 
<laughs> the coyote's uploading the wedding on his little iMac in his cave. I legit was thinking about that because there was a coyote prowling around looking for food and whatever. You're like, I'm going to have to like taxidermy a coyote and get my cards back. Yeah. yeah. So I get back and the family's having brunch, having breakfast and like, you know, having food and everything. So I awkwardly was like, hey, I'm going to go walk the parking lot area. And you didn't and tell them my, what gear you forgot, right? Nope, nope. I hid it from them, like, I hid it from them the whole time. And I don't know if they ever found out. Unless, I didn't tell anybody. I don't know if they could have, like, figured it out on their yeah. own. But I also left a light stand, so that was, thankfully. Okay. So so you're driving had back, that. they're doing brunch, and then? So I, I left Jenna to, Jenna was with me, and so she was talking to the family, and, and it was great, it was fine. Um, and uh, I went and looked in the parking lot and I found it. Oh. It was run over by a car. Oh, there's no. a, there's tire tracks on it, but because it was flexible, um, it didn't like pop. It probably just like conformed to the tire. There was dirt. Everything it was all it was all dirty and everything, but everything was fine. I found it all. That was the biggest relief. I was on a high the rest of the day. I was like, yes. And like, I was so stoked. It was the ultimate swing of moods there. But yeah. Oh, man. Like, so ever I, since I, then, I keep them like in a pocket or something. Yeah. If I found it and saw like the tire marks, I'd be like, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to like go to jail right now. It'd be yeah, better yeah. than telling the couple. I felt like I broke the law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was so intense. So, so but yeah, when I found guy, it, what did it was, you learn <laughs> from this? Yeah. Yeah. What lessons? What can I glean from this? Um, well, I don't know if I learned anything. I was just like, whew. Other than I just make sure I'm like checking that I have everything or I keep them in a closed space now because what he's, what he's eventually or what happened was they just fell off the back of the cart because I left them in my bag, which I sat on top of the Pelican case and they just slid out. So. Dude, it reminds me of a story. So that was like uh so buddy a photographer buddy of mine he so because of that fear of like losing cards or them drop whatever he he always like so you know after a wedding you're always hungry or you're hanging out with your second shooter or your spouse or whatever and you're like okay i'm gonna go get some food because i'm famished whatever so he shot a wedding and then he went to chipotle after and he always has this kind of uh, habit of taking out all the cards from his camera and putting them on in his you know suit pocket or pockets because he's like hey I don't know if someone's gonna break into my car or whatever so literally goes to Chipotle just stands in the line and then comes out back to the car because he's like I don't want to eat inside because I have all my gear in the car so him and his second shooter go to Chipotle go through the whole line he has the cards in his pocket and then he walks outside and in his little Prius all so the back window is completely shattered and someone took oh. his entire Pelican case, all his tripods in the span of like 10 minutes that it took for him to go inside Chipotle and come out and just all gone Whoa. in an instant. And this was like a pretty high end photographer he was and he had a lot of gear. And if he hadn't and he, he even told me he's like, I'm just going to Chipotle. I don't know if I should really take out my card. It's only gonna be like five minutes. And he was like going back and forth whether he should do it or not. Dude crazy yeah see that's a real nightmare situation <laughs> i've heard of i mean that's happened i've heard of those stories before that's why Thankfully, you have insurance people like yeah yeah well there's that yeah 
that probably would have saved my butt. Hopefully, I don't know actually how that would have played out. I, I don't know if because that would have been my fault. Yeah, they're like they might have re, re reimbursed your custom pouch, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could have been yeah, like, well, be it's like, custom, so it was what actually ten thousand dollars for the pouch. You don't know how much I paid for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a custom wallet. Right? <laughs> and they're, they're like, really? $10,000? Yeah, like it was lined with gold and it's like a family yeah. heirloom. and just. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Prescott. I shot Christopher Nolan's brother's wedding. All right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No yeah. questions. Dude, yeah. that's crazy. So, so now do you offload after your wedding or still no? What's the right answer here? No, uh, the right answer no. is that what you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, so... To, uh, to, to be honest, I, so traveling, I travel for a lot of weddings now. Um, um, and that and I, I'm, I love to travel light. I've never packed, I've never traveled a wedding with a, uh, a checked bag. I've only ever done carry ons. And so with that, I always want to travel light. Also, I, until recently, I didn't have a laptop that was worth bringing anywhere because it would have taken two days to offload i shoot on black magic camera so it would have been taking like two days to off offload everything at like usb speeds mm -hmm. you know old school stuff so i just i would just wait till i got home and fly home the next morning and, and offload it when i got back yeah when i'm shooting locally uh, i'm i'll probably maybe i'll start it if i have the energy i'll, I'll start them because it can run its course overnight and then yeah, but I'm still pretty loosey-goosey with it. I mean, I, I keep eagle eyes on all the cards for sure, and I, I know where everything is, and I'm very organized in that sense. But, you know, a lot of I know a lot of people are pretty uptight about getting everything offloaded as soon as possible. Like, I know uh, some people, they'll, now. like, get so specific on it. Like, literally, well, I know some crazy people, not no one personally, but I've heard of this, where they won't even... They won't even shoot on like a 128 gigabyte card or whatever. So like I shoot on the GH5 and I shoot on a 256 gigabyte card. So I never have to change cards throughout the day because I just yeah, don't want to think lovely. about it. Uh, but I know yeah. some people who are so like freaked out about deleting a card or whatever that every portion, they split up the day into like six portions and they have six different cards for every portion of the day, like 32 gig cards. And so just for the preps, they'll shoot on 32 gigs. Then while they're going to the ceremony, they have this little like hard drive that they plug in the card and they'll offload while they're going to the ceremony, that 32 gig card. They have a brand new card yeah. that they'll use for the ceremony, a brand new card that they'll use for portraits and a brand new card that they'll use for reception. And so that by the end of the day, everything is completely offloaded. And I'm like, you Jeez. might need some medication. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It, it definitely makes sense from the standpoint of a, a card is bound to fail eventually. Right. And, and, and when it does, at least you only have one little section on it. Right. But man, yeah, no, I, I just, I choose to put that one out of my mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I like, sometimes I'll wait weeks. That's not good. I probably shouldn't admit that on a podcast, but nope, no, no, Dude, yeah. no brides will listen to this. <laughs> so yeah. Like, well, they might. And Hey, if, if they do, when it, I, it's it's always backed up when it is. Yeah, <laughs> I've I'm pretty good about it. Like one day, maybe two, if I just need a break and yeah. I don't want to think about work. Um, the last wedding I did this year, actually, I I flew back 
and I was like, I'm done. We had friends coming into town and we were going, going away for two weeks traveling together. So I was like, I'm, I'm on vacation. <laughs> and I literally threw my stuff in my office and I, and then like two, we got, we left, left for two weeks, came back. And then like four or five days after being home. So we're like two and a half, almost three weeks after this wedding. I realized I never offloaded that stuff. I got to do that now because that's when I was like, what if something happened? You know, yeah. what if, what if my kid fun, comes in and eats every memory card? Like, yeah, oh yeah. Man, that's, that's a nightmare. So, okay, yeah. man, horror stories. So good. And then kind of like, so I've worked with press. So I, I shot his wedding and then he second shot for me a ton of times, lead shot a ton of times for me. Uh, yeah. Like I've been with him on wedding days and one thing, so he says he's nervous at times and and we all are and sometimes he is but one thing that like in shooting with you is that I think is a huge thing that I've noticed is how even though you're nervous you're still pretty like chill and laid back on the wedding day where you're like you're joking around with a couple you're just saying what comes to your mind and I'm like how is this guy like so chill not always a good move (laughs) we're literally like the ceremony will be happening in like 30 seconds and like none of the cameras are set up and he's just like it's fine it's cool. It's like, <laughs> how do you, how, how are you, I know that's not all the time. Well, that makes me look bad. <laughs> okay. But like, just kidding. how are I'm you, joking. how do you, how does someone be laid back on the wedding day? Is that even possible? Is it more of a mindset thing? Is it an experience thing? Like, what is it? Yeah. Um, dude, well, um, I think a lot of it, cause like my first wedding, I was, I was like so nervous. I froze and I couldn't talk i was like you know about everything um and i think you know credit to you and i you know i started shooting with uh richard signs from royal films like reached out to him and um you know i think you guys actually i reached out to you Mm -hmm. um got to shoot with you a lot which is amazing and learning from you um but i knew i i love being with people and i love talking to people but I definitely have a harder time talking to people I don't know and mm. pretending like I'm comfortable or, or feeling comfortable and like I know them. And so I, I studied, you know, how you talked to people, how you spoke with people. Um, I had a, my roommate at the time was like really good, just off the cuff with people. And so I really studied, you know, how you would speak and, and, kind of body language and I I find that stuff very interesting and I kind of would try to pick up on that I had a Mm -hmm. second shooter buddy um, that was really good with people and so being able to over the years kind of pick up on little things and I think that made me a little bit more comfortable and each wedding I would maybe try something new or try a little thing like they do this I wonder if I could pull that off Um, and eventually I became more comfortable with it Um, and now I I still get that way for sure. Mm. Like I I get nervous and stuff around people, but I I truly do enjoy talking to people and like learning their stories and um and trying to have an honest or genuine conversation that doesn't feel just like this put on salesy mm. I'm the professional here situation. Um and what have so you, my outlook for, what have you found like cuz you've obviously studied like I did very similar thing where it's like study people are good with people and then copy certain things what are some like on a wedding day I'm sure you've kind of got a grab bag of stuff where you know like hey if I kind of present myself this way this way this way I can usually have a good conversation like 
what are some of those quick tips? Like if you were to get, say if someone was going to shoot a wedding tomorrow and they're feeling, man, I'm not that great with people. I've shot a couple weddings, but I still don't get a hang of it. Like what are some of those turning points of things that you do on a wedding day that you picked up from other people? They're like, Hey, this really helped me. Yeah. Um, I think the easiest one that I could say right off the bat is something that I still kind of tighten up about is when I'm like walking into like the bridal prep room with all the bridesmaids there, um, you know, sometimes you, you, you feel awkward with everyone looking at you or whatever, but walking in and, and just kind of not getting loud, but just being like confidently, Hey everyone, I'm Prescott. I'm the, I'm, I'm doing video today or, you know, whatever the situation is, obviously the bride might see you first or whatever it is. Um, a lot of times they don't. So you kind of walk in and everyone looks at you and you don't see the bride. And you're like, you know, and so like speaking up in that moment where you maybe aren't confident in those moments, I'm not feeling confident, but I notice a return when I'm like up front right away and I introduce myself and say hi to everyone um, without the gear helps a little bit. Then it to me, it sets the day up well. They know who I am right off the bat. They're a little less guarded I suppose um a little more calm and then um it kind of goes from there because then I'm like oh okay and then I can continue that better that's awesome same with the guys it's easier with the guys because like for me you know what's up dudes like (laughs) right but it's always football yeah I love football yeah Yeah, everyone's (laughs) pants are off cool (laughs) (laughs) tell me a little bit about more so you you mentioned briefly without the gear so before you used to come in with gear and try to introduce yourself why did you kind of like what have you noticed the difference being when you come in with gear versus without gear? Cause it, it kind of, well, for me, I think it's a little more, um, disarming because it's a little less intimidating walking in with, uh, you know, I, I have a rig camera rig situation and it looks pretty cool. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so sometimes like, I've gone in with the gear and I think there's that intimidation level where um, it just makes it look more like I'm there for business, I'm there Mm. for work, whatever. Um, If I walk in without it, it it also gives me an out to be, I can say my hellos and kind of say hi and and do the personal stuff, personable stuff. Um, But then I can also be like, all right, hey, well, we're going to go get our gear. It gives me an out Mm. um, and also makes it sound like I'm intentional and I have a plan and I have my rhythm and I know what I'm doing on the day of, which is true, mm-hmm. but it also helps present that. Absolutely. Know, and show that. Yeah. I've noticed like it's actually the perfect out because before when I'd walk in with all my gear, always when I would walk in with gear, I'd have like a weird camera strap kind of like slightly pulling on my shirt and something would yeah. be like pulling on my shirt down here and I kind of look disheveled from the get go. And that's not a good yeah. look. And then I'd have my camera all set up. I'd say, let's say if everything went well, where it's like, hi, everyone, like, cool, that doesn't go awkward. But then I have my camera and I'm already starting to film. And if I notice that the bride is kind of like not ready to be filmed or maybe a little awkward or maybe I get awkward for whatever reason, I'm not going to, it's more awkward to be like, hey, I'm all ready, but I'm going to like leave. I have to like make up something. But when you get in there, you say hi without gear, it gives you another chance to reset yourself of like, Okay. Hey, I said, hi. Oh, by the way, I got to go get my gear. So kind of like what you said, and it, it's helped a yeah. ton, helped me a ton. Just anyway. want to come say hi and, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah. And sometimes I'll leave and like that, 30 minutes after. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave for 30 minutes and not come back if she's way behind on schedule. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too. And sometimes they're not even at a point where you would want to, where they're ready to be filmed or you want to film it. So we've, we've bailed for, you know, and it's not like we're doing nothing. We're going to, we'll go check in with the, the guys or, um, you know, shoot some location shots if you are at a point to do that or a place to do that, you know, stuff like that. So, right. yeah, it's helped a lot. And I, I like that because it, it makes, it gives me a bit more of a comfort level too to step in and then I can walk back totally. out and get my jitters out, <laughs> totally. you know, whatever. And then like what, cause so that's, I think, yeah, one of the, probably one of the most stressful parts of the day is where you go from nothing to something and you come in and all really good tips on how to avoid that. I'd say the other or how to avoid the awkwardness there, but I'd say another like big point of contention or nervousness, I'd say mainly probably for guy shooters and then maybe for girls the opposite, but where you're like alone with the bride and kind of getting bridal portraits and kind of leading it. Like, what do you say when you're just with the bride? Do you talk with her or do you not talk with her? Do you kind of just act like you're not there? But then that sometimes can be awkward because the room is really quiet. Like, yeah. I'm sure you were nervous at a point and maybe still are at certain points. But like, what have you found helps you with like one-on-one -on -one interactions with the bride? I chat about stuff that has nothing to do with the wedding. Hmm. Um, or, or, or the wedding day, I should say. Or I'll kind of be like, oh, I will say, how's it been so far as like a general start off mm. point, you know. Um, but I, I try to, and really how I think about it and how I how I interact with them is I, I, I act like I'm hanging out with them for the day. Like mm. I don't act like a vendor. I don't act like I'm the hired help. I'm, or like I try to be as personable and informal as possible. Um, formality in those situations is just really uncomfortable mm. for me. It just feels fake a lot of the time and it doesn't feel genuine and I, I don't love that. And so that's probably why I like weddings as well because it's, it is such an in, intense day. But as far as like a business relationship goes between, you know, the couple and me, it's really informal, mm. you know. Um, so... I I just look at it like that, and when we're filming or when we're not filming, I'm just we're just kind of chatting, um, and then there's the obvious like snap into like okay we're gonna get this shot or whatever it is, and then they're a lot more willing to do it, and it feels like we're kind of working together in that. I don't know. If, that's yeah. that's really good. So kind of just seeing them, because I think so often, especially as you're starting, you think of the bride and groom like, oh the bride and groom because they're in you know whatever apparel and you. They're kind of like the main people on the day and then you have the photographer and you get really awkward. But yeah, just kind of getting in the mindset of, hey, these are real people and how would I hang out with them in a normal setting? And like I find what's helpful for me too is just, hey, whatever comes to my mind in the moment, I just say. Like, of course, if it's not like ridiculous, <laughs> but I, yeah. I try to treat them as if I'm just talking to a friend and if I like notice something cool outside or the florals or like, Hey, I, I noticed they're, you know, at a certain Airbnb, which reminds me of an Airbnb that I stayed at. We start talking yeah. about it and just kind of go from yep. there. And that really diminishes the nervousness. Yeah. You can kind of make conversation out of nothing. <laughs> like, look at that speck of dust. That reminds me of the speck yeah. of dust I saw I, when I was married. I used to have specks of dust <laughs> on my lenses all the time <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Oh, man, you could just talk about all the specks of dust in all our lives yeah. at every major life moment. <laughs> yeah.
Every once in a while, I'll have an out where, I, or you know, something where I'm just like, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> that was that was not that good. Was, <laughs> and that I think that's that's also good. That's part of it, though. You that's, can laugh at yourself then, right? Like I think what's helped me the most, if I'm being honest, is like knowing that hey, there are times like I'm kind of a random awkward person at times, and being like, if the worst that could happen is me being random and awkward and being okay with that, and knowing that hey it's going to happen. Like, even though you've shot it so many times, even though you've shot so many weddings, like there's going to be moments where you just say something stupid and knowing that beforehand and being like, Hey, that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay to be there. The bride and groom aren't there. They're not going to remember it. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what's, what's been one thing that you're like, wow, what, what did I just say? (laughs) Are there any like memorable? Oh, (laughs) Oh, I mean, there are, I'm sure there are so many things. I, I remember like one or two moments with you guys where I've said something. You're like, what? <laughs> you know? And I'm just like the, the second or third shoot or whatever. Like, Do you remember any of those? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, that stuff is probably in one area out the other for me. Um, no, I don't remember anything. I've, I, I, it's so funny, though, because I remember the reactions. And I'll remember certain, like, scenes but i don't remember what i actually said okay i do remember one uh you'll probably remember this okay. so this is so we're shooting with prescott and we're filming the portraits with the bride and then the mom comes over and you know it's like okay mom and daughter they're having like an intimate moment and you know they're snuggling <laughs> up next to each other and we're filming and it's like totally normal and not awkward and they're doing fine and then you know they go in for like a snuggle and then prescott in the back is like oh yeah more of that please <laughs> More of that, please. Oh, yeah, more of that. <laughs> I, I do remember that. That sounds way more... Sounds way more awkward than what you said. Was it, was, did it really come out that weird? I mean, yeah, that's kind of how it was. And it's like in the footage, too. Oh, <laughs> Uh, well, I'm sorry, but you're welcome also. <laughs> and everyone started laughing and it was like, super, it was so like uncomfortably awkward that no one could do anything but laugh and it actually lightened the whole mood and it was perfect. And they, they started laughing and we got like great moments. And so, yeah, just say what you want to say. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Yeah, that, ten, that happens. I haven't done that in a while, but I will say I've caught myself for sure. And actually I got called out in like a obviously a lighthearted way you know you know because you're you're hammering that up a little bit when portraits are really good you're like oh yeah this is great like you guys are rocking it whatever and um i did (laughs) i did do something like that where it was a little more like (laughs) it was more like yeah you know that kind of thing (laughs) and it was a little too much and they're like okay (laughs) wait who the couple it was just me yeah, it was hilarious. It was, it was, it was fine. No, I do the same out. thing. Like sometimes I'm filming, especially during portraits, because I'm so focused on the couple. And usually I'm just yeah. like, oh yeah, that was awesome, or yeah, like oh yeah, that was really good, or whatever. And then I'll, for a minute, I'll I'll, I'll say something. I'm like, oh wait, you can see me. I'm not invisible. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And I've done the same thing where like. I've had some really awkward moments with like 
with brides when I'm doing like, oh, I'll take so, so, so I'll do portraits and then like the groom will be doing portraits and the bride will be doing portraits and I'm like filming portraits of the bride. Right. And it's just me and I'll have her like looking into the lens and she'll be doing like some, something really cool, something really beautiful. And I'm reacting just cause like the shot is like really cool. But then I realized like she's yeah. looking directly at me and her groom's like right here. And I'm like, oh yeah, this looks awesome. You look beautiful. And like this whole thing. And I'll say yeah. things that I'm like, oh wait, this is probably like really awkward. I don't know. Like I'll, like those thoughts will go through my mind. And could this be misconstrued? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's whatever though. Yeah. It's, just, it's the wedding day. It's like, what happens? It's all good hearted, lighthearted stuff. It's all, it's all fun at, you know, at the end of it. But, um, yeah, the reactions when you're filming are funny cause it's just, you're not paying attention. You know, you're to your trying work. to ham it up. Yeah. yeah. So then you start, I've definitely started trying to tone it down a little bit. Watch. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm, I, I don't think I was ever so over the top and, and like, like inappropriate or right. anything like that. But like, but yeah, that moment where, where you're just trying to play into it and, and kind of like, keep oh, that the hype going weird. and then, yeah. And he's like, I apologize. More of that, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. That's that's great. I wanted to um, so kind of transition, kind of a sharp turn. But let's see. I have some okay. questions here. So, so one interesting thing about Prescott, which I really admire about you, and what I think other people could really learn from you, and something that like I've kind of gotten the hang of, but I wouldn't say fully mastered. And I don't know if anyone ever fully masters this, but one thing that I'm really inspired from you on is the fact that you are very good with working with editors. And like, I know that's taken some time, but it seems like whenever I talk with you, you're so anal about your work. Like your work is so good. You're so anal about every part, but yet somehow you've managed to be loose with having other editors work on it. And Hmm. like, that's something I still haven't mastered. Like somehow you're so good with communicating your creative vision to an editor and still having that work out. And that's something I'm still working on. So how did you get started working with editors? And then how do you work with editors? Well, well, thank you. That's nice. Um, I, I, to be honest, I started working with an editor because like I mentioned earlier, I would slave over a film for an inordinate amount of time so that my, you know, what I make, if you put it down to a time is like horrible. Mm. Um, and like what you make per hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I thought I would, you know, eventually get more efficient and all that. But, um, the process of editing is, is a tough one to me because I love telling the story mm. and that I think is, I, I, I feel like I'm probably, if I were to ever transition out of weddings, you know, someday, hopefully, you know, all of that, um, I feel like I would probably be decent at directing because I, I love the vision aspect of all of this stuff. And so that's why I do like editing because it's mixing the, you know, the verbal, but the, the, what I really love is like reading into the nonverbal moments and, and, using those emotionally and tying those all together, but it would just take me so long. And, um, it just wasn't economical. And like, you know, and some people are doing like amazing stylish work and I love that. So testing those strategies out and, and, but it would just take forever. So anyway, um, I wanted to find an editor cause at that point I, I, I was starting to get real about 
like I said, business and like, okay, how to make this a career instead of like, right. this is a hobby I make surprisingly good money at as a hobby, yeah. you know, but, you know, buy a house someday mm -hmm. and have a retirement, whatever, <laughs> all that stuff. I was like, oh, like I'm an I'm adult 30. now. <laughs> I need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I have, life doesn't just happen. Oh, anyway. So the, um, I, um, started work, working, I found an editor that wasn't a company. It was just this girl that I, um, met at a workshop, mm. um, through, um, it was, um, Josh and John okay. immerse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. Um, and, um, uh, I could tell that she had a good eye mm. and a good kind of feel of editing a moment. Had and you so worked I, with editors before this one? No. Mm. Oh, actually once. I think I did once. Um, once or twice. Two films. Four. How was that experience? Um, it was good. It was like a business. It was an editing mm. business. Um, so it wasn't... Um, it was my first time like using an editor. So there's some learning curve stuff on my end. Um, I think it was good, but I, I, um, I wasn't so like sold that I was like, I gotta have them mm. film everything or edit everything. So, so you found this girl and were you initially thinking I'm like, I'm looking for an editor to do all my stuff or was it like, I'm going to send her a couple projects and see where it goes. Yeah. It was, it was going to be a couple projects. I had one, I was like, all right, let's, let's give this one to her. I think this will be a good tester cause it was a good wedding. Um, and, uh, and then it slowly turned into, as I started readjusting my days and my time allotments with life, it started turning into, oh, that one I was planning on doing, I don't, I don't know if I have time. So I was like, hey, can you do it? And so it turned into, she, she uh, was doing all of my edits, which is great. Um, yeah, so our work, our plan was, um, she would look through the footage and listen through all the audio, and then we'd have a call and kind of talk through it. Cause I definitely had my kind of general vision for things, um, just from memories from the wedding. Um, but she would remind me of certain moments and kind of give me a, a rundown of what stood out audio wise. Um, and then I would, um, we would both try to find the songs. I kind of, it kind of ended up being me at the end of the day. Um, not because she wasn't finding good ones, but just because I kind of had the root vision, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it made sense. Um, and then I would kind of express kind of an overall idea and, and she would fill in the gaps. Now it's not like a knock on her cause like she did a lot. She did most of it, but I think it was good to, for me to be able to express kind of what I was envisioning from a style or emotion or music standpoint and all that kind of stuff. And she rocked it. I mean, and we would do one round of revisions and then I would go through and finalize and do the color and boom, boom. That's crazy. So. That's, I think, a unique way to work with editors because, like, I think one of the hardest parts is if you are a filmmaker with a very creative vision and uh, your films tend to be on the more creative side, a lot of people here working with editors and they try it out and they send off their film pretty much without any notes and they just yeah. expect to have their work delivered back to them. But that doesn't really happen because no. I think working with editors, if you really want to maintain that creative vision, it has to be you as a creative director role and then the editor as kind of under that. So like, what is the yeah. process? Like if someone was thinking about working with editors for the first time, how would you suggest they go about it to where they're not going to be frustrated and they're actually going to be happy, you know, with the end result? 
Yeah. Um, cause my thing on it was this, like, they don't know the couple. They're just, they're, you know, shots. It's a logistical or a whatever thing for them. It's not an emotional <clears throat> connection. And like, I've, I know the couple through the process and the, the day and all that. Um, uh, you know, so my, my, I guess my overall thing is, would be like, you know, send out the footage, have them review it and then get on a call. So you can kind of talk because that the editor will have some thoughts and ideas that will maybe be better than yours or bolster your, you know, your thought. And maybe it'll, they'll have a totally different take on it, which, you know, is always interesting. So having that time, that call for a creative capacity to, to work through that vision is always good. Um, that's how we did it. Cause you know, a lot of editing companies, they have their process and you follow their process. Mm -hmm. So that was one really cool thing about working with just an editor who did it theirself, themselves. Um, uh, yeah. And then I would let her make the first cut. Um, and I was always available for questions, but I, I also didn't want to micromanage it because then you stifle their creativity. Mm -hmm. And that was like, for me, like I trusted her and I do trust her and um, don't want them to feel like I'm like hounding them and you know because then that'll mess with their psyche as they're trying to go through it so right that's really really good and then how do you like so you talk about having a vision for the film like is this something in terms of do you take so you shoot the wedding right and everyone who shoots weddings they have ideas of like how the edit could go do you take like a day or like a couple hours and like jot down pretty close after you shot the wedding? Like, here's my ideas or is it just all in your head? And then you talk to the editor uh, right after. Like, how do you make how do you go from shooting the day? to Like, how do you get that vision? Do you set aside time to do that? Like, what's your process there and how like detailed is that vision? Are you like, hey, uh, this is how I want the start of the film to go. This is how I, where I want the climax to be. Or is it more just like I want it to feel like this? Sometimes it's just a general feeling mm. and then sometimes it's, um, I don't know if you can hear my son. He just, I think he just woke up from his nap. No, I can't hear anything. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll start over. Yeah, no worries. You're good. <laughs> On my answer. <laughs> okay. Um, some, sometimes for me, it's a, I have a really strong vision. You know, if it's a wedding that I was like super stoked about and it was in a rad location and there's like a really impactful moment, then I'll, you know, express that. Um, but usually when I was with the editing stuff, it would be like two or three months after the wedding when we finally get around to that being up in the queue. Right. So it's not like it's super fresh. I don't write anything down. That's a great idea. I could probably do that. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty good at, I feel like I have a good memory and I'm able to snap back into that um, scene pretty well. Obviously, I'll probably miss some stuff, but um, and th there were other times where I just was like, I, I got nothing. It was normal wedding. It was a great wedding, mm. but nothing I felt super connected to emotionally or creatively. And so I'd just be like, What are your thoughts? And I, you know, from there we would pick some songs, and I'd just let her do it. Cause I, you know, cause, and that was the thing that was nice is like in those moments where I'm just like, This is a business. Let's get the edit out. Right then you know i could let go and with edits because like i get so and you at this any filmmaker i think who's intentional in any way about this we get so attached to every edit um and every film like it has to be the best 
have you found with working with editors where you're like, hey, this edit's done and that's more important than it being like creatively, like talk through that a little bit because I think there's something Dude, there yeah. that I don't even fully know how to articulate, but I feel like you've gone through that. Like tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and I don't know if this has to do with like the whole raising your price thing, just do it like and move on with life. But um, Jenna, like when I was editing my my own stuff, you know, I would get all crazy about it. And Jenna was just like, you can't do this. Like you do, you do run a business and it's a very personal thing because it's our business. It's our work. It's their wedding day. It's their, you know, sp most special day ever, you know, all that, all that hoo-ha. But like the, um, I mean, it's real, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> all of that, like, you build that up and you, you you stress yourself out. But, and at the end of the day, like if you trust your work and you trust yourself and like, you know, we've been doing it a long time. And even if you haven't, like they hired you for your creative vision, your work. And, but at the end of the day it is a business. And you know, if, if the wedding had nothing incredible about it, you know, from our standpoint, who sees wedding after wedding after wedding, um, being able to, one, you got to make it, you got to give it your best and give it your all because they hired you to do your best job as you can. Um, but you're, you're representing that day. You're just creating a representation of that day and maybe, you know, and, and sometimes that's all you can do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, if it's, if it's not this mountaintop elopement, but it's a regular barn wedding or, you know, a typical thing which is not a problem at all. I had a pretty typical wedding, like, but it was super fun. But at the end of the day, you're not going to create like a crazy, ridiculous, never seen before editing wedding video necessarily. So I think kind of like you know? you've absolutely, I think you've probably gotten to the point of like, how do you, how do you detach yourself? Like to see your business more as a business and less of a, like, this is my child. Yeah. That's, I think that's what it, that's what I think probably happened two or three years ago for me was, was being able to have that separation. Um, and you asked how I did that? Yeah. Like, how did you do that? Was it just like, oh shoot, if I don't start doing this, I'm not going to have money. Like, what was that turning point? Cause I think a lot of people, they know they have to do it, but they don't know like how to get there. Um, they're, they're like, I, I hear all this thing about think, it has to be a business. Yeah. How do you, how did you get there? How do how would someone get there? I think my mindset turned more from being like a creative filmmaker to like I run a business, and um, and and taking that step away from from the emotional and making it more like logic logical or something. I don't know. I mean, for sure, dude. I miss editing sometimes, not a lot, but I miss editing because in the standpoint of I wonder what I would have done with this, mm. you know? Like if I had the time, not that I don't have the time, I could have the time, but I get, now I actually get quite stressed out when I have to edit something. I like kind of, because it's, I'm so out of, I've been used, sending out my films mm. out for so long now, but um, I see an edit and I'm like, man, that's awesome. I. I, I feel a pull in my heart to like create something like that again, mm. you know? Um, but I'm also like, 
But my editor just cranked out this video, not cranked out in like a speedy way, but yeah. just like they edited this video much more economically than I did. I paid them. I, it saved me weeks upon weeks of time. And they're doing some stuff that I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that. I know that for a fact. Mm. And I like it. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> went on a bit of a tangent there. But basically moving it, taking taking my identity out of it mm. and and making it more about like, I, I am thinking about the future now. I have a, I have a one-year-old son and thinking about those things like as, and probably when I turned 30, to be honest, this is probably like the third life crisis thing. When I turned 30, I kind of freaked out. I was like, life is actually going quickly. And the second, I would say the second half of my twenties, I was kind of, you know, the first half of your twenties, you're, you're, you're like, yeah, life. I'm going to get life, you know, and things are going to happen to me. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to be whatever. And then the second half for me, you know, you know, for the first half for me was like with the weddings. I was like, I'm going to do weddings for like five years. I'm going to get known. And then that'll naturally transition into commercial work because the the long game for me has always been commercial work. Mm. And I think the second half of my 2020s, I was like, Okay, the commercial thing's not really happening on its own. And I was starting to realize I need to pursue this, but I was also so deep into the weddings and I was like, I was shooting all summer, whatever it was. And then during the winter when I was being like, okay, that'll be my slow time. I was like, no, I got to edit. And then it would be time to go again. That was like five years of that. It's like, where'd your life go? not feeling. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there was a bit of that when I hit my thirties, I was like, okay. Now the... I, I like really have a great time doing weddings and there's so many positives. So it's not a knock on weddings at all, obviously. Um, but I started having to look at it less as a creative thing and trying to get those amazing elopements, which I still, I still have this yearning to do like what Stanton's doing. Stanton Giles is doing films by Stanton. And these, these guys, you, you know, you're doing all these things, like all that kind of outdoorsy elopements, the things that, look fancy on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That gets me every time still. And I know that it's happening to me when I watch it. So that's all, partially why I don't spend a ton of time on on the social media looking at people's mm-hmm. films anymore. But I mean, anyway, making it less about the creative, more about like business and career and like thinking about like have, saving money up for my son mm-hmm. or buying a house um, or having retirement because that will make me feel one legitimate like i don't just have this like oh how's your nice little business going mm. How, you know do i need to get a real job stuff like that and it's probably like a lot about contentment right because feeling like you have to run everything feeling like you have to always do the coolest stuff that makes you super excited at the heart of it is a discontentment with where you're at thinking that if i do these things then i'll truly be happy uh, yeah. Like how, yeah, how, how have you managed? Yeah. Contentment with, you know, giving up the edits, right. Giving up the, um, not always doing the coolest weddings. Um, you touched briefly. I know, you, you know, with your son, your wife and kind of passing 30, but like as a creative wanting to do all these amazing things and appreciating incredible art, like how do you be, and it's okay if you don't have it all figured out, but like, 
how are you sorting through or how have you found, how have you managed to be content on a week to week or year to year basis? Is it something you're still figuring out? Have you figured out some things, not other things? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a battle. Um, I, yeah, no, I mean, honestly, that's still something I'm, I'm back and forth on. Like I, I really want to do, I have this idea that like commercial work, you know, it's like, oh, mm. you know, I'll, I'll finally be respected as a filmmaker, mm. as a, you know, professional filmmaker in a career if I'm doing commercial work, mm. you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so I go with, I go through that a lot. Um, but also, um, you know, with weddings, um, or, or, but all, you know, with weddings at the same time, like I've been doing this so long, I have built up a bit of a business. Um, I'm, I'm not like known by any means or anything like that, but it's worked for seven or eight or nine or whatever it is years now, you know? So, um, part of it's like, don't be dumb and like, just fritter that away, work for it and continue to improve it. Um, and then, you know, my, my, kind of thought with next year, who knows if I'm going to do it because I've said this for the last six years is like, literally I'm dead serious right now. My thought is like, get through Christmas and New Year's and then I'm going to start doing the commercial stuff, which is literally what I've said with every single point. So we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't even know what your question was now. Sorry. That was good though. It's, it was more like how, how do you like, because as humans, we can't do everything, right? And yeah. obviously, you know, you can't do commercial, you can't do weddings, you can't be a present dad or husband, things like that. Like, how how do you get through those moments where you feel like you could be doing more, but you know you just can't? Or, you know, like, ha have you been able to find, like, contentment in what you're doing now or no? Back and forth. I, I find contentment. I think for me, one, it's like a lot of where my, like, if I'm in a healthy place emotionally or like, you know, from a faith aspect, all of that, where I find my identity, you know, it takes me out of myself and it takes me out of weddings. Um, and that's obviously a struggle because, you know, we're all human and we have those emotional swings and thoughts, you know. Um, I think, I think weddings are great and like, you, you're not really beholden to clients like you would be with commercial. Like, yeah, you might get some revisions every once in a while. Thankfully, I've not ever really had that situation come at me. Um, so, you know, that's nice. Mm. You're getting paid to do, you know, yeah, you work on the weekends, but you don't have to work a nine to five. You can work from home. And I've loved it with like, you know, the family and everything like that and um, just moving to North Carolina and just, it just, I don't know. It's just the quality of life situation has yeah. been really awesome. And once you kind of get all the cogs um, kind of moving, it's like, Hey, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and tell me a little, cause so you so, mentioned North Carolina. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's something that I think is really interesting that I want to talk about. So I know a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, um, if myself included of like, Hey, if I want to move my business out to another state, another country, that freaks me out. Like, how do I do that? So one interesting thing about Prescott, 
which you guys don't know. So he, I mean, he shot in California for most of his wedding career, video career, and then just recently was like, hey, I'm done with California. I'm going to move my family and my, (laughs) my child to North Carolina. And on top of that, I'm not just like, I don't have a cushy job over there. I'm moving my whole business. And as a wedding filmmaker, that's terrifying because most of your business is local. So like, how did you go about that move and how are you making it possible and kind of have in the back of your mind, like if someone were to do the similar thing, like how would they do that? Because I wouldn't even know like the first, like that would terrify me kind of, I, I wouldn't think it was possible, but you're somehow doing it. How? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think all that stuff is exciting. So that probably helps mm. just from the mindset standpoint. That's why I like to change things up with the business and take risks or whatever. I think it's exciting because the upside of it is great. And the downside is like, doesn't work. And then mm. you go back to the other. Um, but, um, as far as like moving the business and just life, um, I, you know, I always have desired to live somewhere else and experience life elsewhere. Um, I've always had this dream of spending a year or two in Germany or a year or two in England or Scotland, like just like living life elsewhere and just picking up and going to work somewhere or doing work over there and, and then coming back when we're ready. Like, I love that kind of idea. Um, my wife, I, I get my wife, I talk to my wife about van life all the time, which I'm like, I can't do that anymore. You know, <laughs> now it's like RV life or just camp a lot. But, um, all that stuff. I love that stuff. So I've always wanted to live outside of California and just go for it. Um, and I think especially now with how expensive it all is, I don't have a million and a half to buy a detached house, you know, with a six foot backyard. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, moving the business over here was actually like shockingly easy. Um, for me, I, I, maybe I just didn't find it that daunting. For some reason, I think one of it was it's like I'm moving, so got to do it. Um, and two, you know, I did fly back to California a lot this year, um, so that you know was a good way to get airline status. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I I hired a SEO guy, and he helped a lot um, with the back end stuff that I understand. Uh, we decided to move in December of last year, so about a year ago. And we knew we were going to move in July because Jenna was a teacher. That's when school was ending. That's when Harlan was going to be about a year old. And um, at that point, we were in a two-bedroom apartment. And my second, the second room was my office. And then so Harlan was in the room with us. Um, and uh, once he's a yeah, that's rough after a year. <laughs> so we were just, we had to move. We had to move one way or the other. I didn't want to spend four grand on an apartment and um i knew we couldn't afford a house and if it what even if we could afford a townhouse which you know we might have been able to do something the baseline stuff but it wouldn't have been worth the money mm. you know so that's when i was like all right we're we're balancing all the things of land and culture and nature and cost of living and all those types of things um yeah and that's we had a buddy that moved out to north carolina so during covid we had a trip planned to colorado and bunch of other random places but then covid happened like right before it and i was like well those places aren't going to be fun to visit they close all the national parks and everything so we uh we visited them out here and we just like fell in love with it and yeah
I don't know why. Okay, so you mentioned the SEO thing. So what uh, Prescott was telling me before, so one thing he actually did, which I thought was really smart, is so he was going to go to North Carolina from California, and what he did is he went on his website before he left. Uh, you you kind of clarify some of the details here, but I think it was a few months yeah. before you left, you changed all the wording on your site to be North Carolina-focused. You even started to try to, I don't know if you actually did, but try to book North Carolina weddings while you were still in California. So he hired an SEO yeah. person to not only change all the wording on the website, but also do SEO stuff so that North Carolina brides were contacting him while he was in California. And I thought that was yeah. like super, super smart of you. Um, like what else did you do to kind of get the business ready from a logistical standpoint to move so that someone who's maybe on the other side saying, hey, I want to move in like six months. What can they do or not do based on the good things and the bad things that you did? Yeah. Um, I mean, the the active things, I think that was basically it. I, I As soon as we decided to move, I changed it to North Carolina, what you know, destination or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever I say on my website. Yeah. Um, I changed the, the location about everything to North Carolina um, because I figured if we don't move, I'll just change it back. Yeah. You know, that's kind of my thought with all of it. It doesn't work. Just change it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no one's going to remember. Um, and um, and even if they do, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we decided to stay. Um, and then the SEO stuff, um, same idea. He was uh, setting up the, the Google Map location and everything like that. Um, I did have to change the LLC and all the legal, legal stuff, close the business in California and reopen it in North Carolina just to cut ties to California and all of that um, seemed like a smart move. So there's some of that stuff logistically um, that my CPA helped me out with. Um, that was very helpful. Um, honestly, though, it was it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, those are the only three steps I did. So you would kind of say, and, like, if someone was considering it, you would say, like, hey, you could do it. And really... From, oh, 100%. from what I'm hearing from you and I'm going to kind of distill it for people listening is yeah, like really, if you want to move, you change the wording on your site a couple months before you leave, hire someone to do SEO to, so that, you know, you're actively getting inquiries for that new location, probably yeah. have some money in the bank so that if you don't, you know, can't book right away, you have something for a couple months. Um, and yeah. then like just, just do it and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be okay. And then, yeah, you're going to be flying back to your original location. That's probably the hardest thing that you have to deal with is flying back. But then once you're out there, it's really yeah. not, there's really nothing more than that. So people shouldn't be like, if they're financially okay, they shouldn't be scared of really doing something like that. Right. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely from the financial side of things, it's expensive to move. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also cheap if you're saving like, a lot of money moving to this new location. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were able to buy a house, which was a huge blessing. And, um, you know, we're just very lucky. Uh, and our our mortgage is as expensive as our rent was, <laughs> you know. So things like that, where it's just like, this is a nice lateral. There's no cost difference. I mean, that's the thing. I think outside of the moving cost, there's no real change from a financial standpoint. Mm. Um you know, obviously the business situation could cause problems if bookings drop or whatever. Um, I, I, th I think in California when I was living there, I think I was traveling about 40%, maybe 50% of the time. Um, 
And so for me, I, because I had been doing that for a couple of years, I felt a little, a little bit of freedom in that sense too, because it doesn't matter where I live. I could live in Montana, you know, that'd be amazing. Cause I watch Yellowstone and I'm like, I want to live there. Um, I'm going to be editing right next to a grizzly bear. Yeah. I want to just, yeah, I'm going to ride my think horse to this? the office. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah. So that was something that was nice. It's like, I, I had a bit of the location freedom, I suppose, to, to live where I want and work where I want. Yeah. I think too, like when I think about it, like we're already entrepreneurs. We're already kind of like risking everything to do weddings, which is extremely volatile. And one thing that I've been really focusing on the last two or so years or year and a half is just quality of life, doing the thing yeah, that you want to yeah. be doing. And I think initially when you start out, you're very much like the only quality of life I care about is actually doing something I'm passionate about, like actually doing the thing. So yeah. you might be stuck at a job you hate and you're like, I just want to do weddings. And then when I get to weddings, then I'll be happy. But I think what you quickly find out is what's really making you at the end of the day unhappy in your current job. Yes, there, there's a certain amount of work side of it, but it's really the exhaustion side of just feeling like you're going wall to wall, feeling like you have nothing, no space to do what you really want to do. And I think what I would encourage people, what I would encourage myself is if you're already doing weddings, but you're still feeling like, man, the actual journey that I'm on, even though I'm doing something I love, I don't like, I'm just exhausted at the end of every day or I feel like I can't move my family to the next level. Like that's going to weigh on you mm. so much more. I'm going to have way worse yeah. consequences five years from now than maybe taking a little bit of financial hit or maybe a increased stress to like move somewhere else. But just, I, and which you could echo, because like at the beginning of this call, Prescott's like, I love this. I, I don't know why I didn't move sooner. And I will say yeah. from experience, like changing your work environment, whether it be, you know, another state that you want to live in to mitigate financial stress or just redoing your office, like all those environmental things are the most important and freeing up mental space to rest and to really enjoy life will make your work that much more enjoyable. You'll make more money because you're going to have be more rested. And at the end of the day, yeah. it's, it's worth it. And Kind of yeah. like what you were saying. It's like, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic risk reward thing. Like it's scary to take a risk. Um, but the, the upside is big, you know. Um, and the downside is you go back to what you were doing before. So that's kind of my, been my, what I've tried to focus on mentally or emotionally with it. Because yeah, when it, when you're first starting out and this is how it was for me and you and like, you're so passionate about it and it's, this is, I'm making these films. This is, this is like my creativity, not like from a narcissistic way, but just like you just, you're in it. Right. You can't help, you know? but be in it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think just trying to find the balance between like taking yourself out of that as well and realize like you have, a, you know, uh, you're running a business at the end of the day. Um, and so it's, it's a balance because you don't want to overcorrect one way or the other. Right. Exactly. Um, well, and I think, yeah. I think too, like one yeah, thing, yeah. one thing that is just really stood out to me about this conversation is so like, I am very much 
probably to a fault, like a systems person. Like if I make any decision, I'm like, Hey, I have to have all my T's crossed, I's dot. I have to think of all the possible oh, yeah. ways this could fail. And I got to make sure that like I do this thing. So you have to know the outcome have, before. Right. Exactly. Yeah, or the every little thing. Yeah. But one thing that's cool about you and even how you do weddings and edits, I think one thing that people could really take away from is that you don't have to have everything figured out. Like some, sometimes the best thing you could do in life is just to make the jump and like with everything. So with finding an editor, you're literally, you had a feeling of, Hey, I can't do this anymore. So I'm going to start working with someone and you just did it. Whereas if I were to do it, I'd be like, well, like I got to really make sure I know exactly how to work with an editor and get the template right. So then I finally do it or with moving, you're kind of just like, Hey, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, like it doesn't work out, I just move back. If I raise my pricing, if it doesn't work out, I just go back to my current pricing. Like how does someone get in that mindset where it's like, like, it seems like you have this thing in your head where you're like, I've thought about the worst possible thing that could happen and I'm not scared of that. So I'm just going to do what I feel led to do. Like, how does someone get there? How have you gotten there? Is that just your personality where you're just like, Hey, nothing bad has happened thus far. I'm just going to keep doing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep, keep pushing until I fail. No, whatever. Um, Oh gosh, I don't know. I, I honestly, I just try to have fun with life. I, Mm. I sounds so stupid. No, it's good. But like, like I I've I've always I've always looked at life as an adventure and that's I know that's a really cliche thing nowadays too, but like um um I, I think all that stuff is exciting. Mm. You know? It's super uncomfortable for sure. And like with the whole editor thing, Jenna would tell you like I was back and forth for months talking to her about it. I was asking people like, do you have an editor? Like I I felt like I didn't know what to do and I felt kind of helpless. And then it just you know, I, I was able to find one. I worked with a company at first and then I, I found or met her, uh, met my editor and, and she was awesome. Uh, worked with her for like two years and now I'm working with another editor. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been awesome. I don't, I, you know, I don't, um, market or whatever that I work with an editor. Like my couples don't know. Cause at the end of the day, it's still, a lot of my vision and I'm still doing the final touches and the color and all of that. And, and at the end of the day, they don't care, mm. you know, as long as they get something that's up to par and, and if you're not just phoning it in and not like honoring their investment in you, then, you know, that's fine. Right. Um, um, yeah. I mean, I have so many stupid injuries stories from like stupid things I did. None of the injuries that I have are cool, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I just, I wanted to do it. So I did it and it went horribly, you know, stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of ways that you, <laughs> maybe that's just how I am. I yeah. Know. So it seems like you just don't really have a big fear of failure, which at some, some parts could be like bad. Like, do you, do you find like you have a big fear of failing or do you just not think about it? And you're like, it's going to work out whatever I do. I mean, I mean, with the commercial stuff, I think that's probably a lot holding me back mm. is fear of failure or just fear of not knowing the outcome. Like for a lot of these things, I suppose I know the outcome. I'm either going to book that wedding or I'm not. Mm. Like I'm going to tell them this price and if they go for it, sweet. And like I've done that plenty of times where I'm just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this. And you know, for one reason or another, I'm not always that flippant about right. it, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just try- always trying to push up how much I can earn 
or how much I can get. And I think the work backs it up. I'm confident in my work and all of that. So I think that does help. Um, and, uh, my vision of things, but, um, no, 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 that's good. I, I think like really what you're getting at is, uh, like as filmmakers, we've already taken the biggest risk on starting a business and we've gotten a couple weddings and it's like, honestly, what could be the worst that happens? Oh, you have to go back and get a job. Like, I know that really hurts as a pride thing, but That's you're going to have a job yeah. and your family's going to be provided for. And I kind of take it a similar approach to where every year I try to do something. Of course, I'm not trying to reinvent my whole wheel every year, but I try to do a couple things that are a little bit scary and a little bit risky. Um, most of the time I'm not like jotting down what scary thing I could do. Cause I just have a personality of like, that's, I do risky things, but I, I like to think of, Hey, most of the best things in my life in terms of outcome have come from things that initially I was really uncomfortable with and kind of the quote mm-hmm. of everything that you truly want in life usually comes on the other side of uncomfortability. And so, yeah, like I think in your case, you see something that's kind of scary and you're like, I'm going to do it anyways because you've thought of kind of the bad thing that's going to happen and you just do it. And it's good. And I think as wedding filmmakers, we have to be more like that. And even to encourage you right now with the commercial thing, you've done so many other things and they've worked out maybe not in the exact timeline, but like, Hey, just do the commercial thing. Hey, if you're listening to this, raise your prices. If you want to move, move. Um, If you want to start working with an editor and you're like, but I can't, but I don't have enough money to do that yet. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, my prices aren't high enough. Well, okay. Raise your prices. Um, work with an editor who maybe you're just be upfront with them. Say, Hey, uh, I want to work with you. I want to raise my prices too. This is how much I have to pay you and see what they say. And just like have the conversations, do the things. And I think that's what I'm really like yeah. been inspired. Just seeing your journey and seeing what you're currently going through is like, uh, Nike, just, just do, do, do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, and it's easier to say it obviously <laughs> right. than to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think people get really in their head more than they should. Mm. And, um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, no. I, I don't want to hound it in. Like yeah. I'm just doing it. I just like go do it. But, right, right. I think um, I think the capstone. It's you're always gonna feel like you don't have everything together. That's never gonna change. Yeah. Um, you're never gonna get to the point where you're like, I have everything together. So if that's what you're waiting for, stop stressing out and do the thing that you're fearful of. And I I kind of want to. So I have two more questions yeah. that I want to wrap this up with. So one is kind of kind of weird tangent. Probably should have asked it sooner, but it still works. Is okay. So one thing about Prescott's films that if you watch him really stands out to me is his music choices. And he might not, I mean, you might not think much of your music choices, but when I watch your films, I feel like a lot of intentional intentionality went behind choosing that music. Um, how do you choose your music? Do you think, yeah, what's your process in choosing music? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Yeah, the, the music stuff is definitely intentional for me. I would say I, I, maybe it's gotten a little less intentional over the years with like using an editor and stuff because I'm not as intimately involved in the the edit. Mm. Um, um, but it, it still is intentional. Um, the 
the process for me, like, so I, I started in a music background. I wasn't some like, like fantastic musician or anything like that, but my dad was in the audio side of things. I, I've been playing instruments since I was in fourth grade, whatever. Like, I know that people are way more skilled in all these ways than I am. Um, but I, I do love the relationship between the visuals and the music and the emotions in the music. Um, and so I'm, I, that is my favorite part of all of this is, um, finding that right, you know, it's the right instruments, the right tempo, the, if there's too much of a rhythm, there's too much beat, that's not right. You know, things like that for each kind of section of the film. Um, I love all that. So for me, it's, 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 you know, knowing there's a, the side of like with the notes after talking to them with, with, uh, throughout the process and knowing the music tastes they have or the kinds of styles that they like or dislike and kind of what they liked about my edits um, and the, the other films they've watched. Um, obviously, if they had super emotional vows or letters or whatever, or really funny ones, things like that definitely help play into the energy of the day. So just finding all of that um, is kind of what I think about. It's a very feel, feely type thing. I'm not, like there's no formula necessarily, but I definitely think about all those aspects as I go into it. Yeah, and and on the logistical, non-emotional side, it's like I have a music bed subscription, mm. and so I use music bed. Mm. Like I know a lot of guys go out and how long do you spend on a song? Do you have like, hey, if it takes me longer than this many hours, I just choose something, or do you not rest until you find that song that you click with? Um. Yeah, you mean in the search? Yeah, in the search. Um, it's definitely gotten shorter, but yeah, I mean, I used to, I would just scour for a while. At a certain point, you choose something and you make it work, right. and and it'll fit your plan well enough that no one would know the difference. Um, I think that's probably a little bit more where I'm at now mm -hmm. because I am trying to be more economical with my time totally. or my decisions, totally. you know. But yeah, if it just doesn't work, I'm not going to just phone it in right. with that song. Well, I think one, yeah. like, so what I always tell people, so, so much of filmmaking, so much of music, we're focused on music right now, is a vibe. It's just like you feel it. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people are like, hey, give me a system for how to choose better music. And I've thought about, well, in one sense, it's like, well, if you don't feel it, you're not going to choose good music. But how do we... How do we as artists tweak our taste, I think is a really good thing to ask ourselves. So one thing that you mentioned at the beginning was you had this big music background. And I have always noticed that my favorite filmmakers, my favorite editors always have a music background of some sort. Um, they mm -hmm. And it may not even be like playing an instrument, but it could be like, oh, I just love music. Like something about the music and editing and the way it works. So I always tell people like, yeah. hey, if you want to choose better music, kind of go about it in a weird way. Like I always suggest that if you're a wedding filmmaker and you just want to have a better vibe to your films, pick up an instrument. Do something outside of weddings that's musical because that will actually tune your taste that when you come back to weddings, you're going to actually be able to choose better songs, make better, better edits. And so like it could be... So like for me, I didn't really grow up being a music person. I played piano growing up. I always enjoyed music, 
but like for me this is kind of funny but like i love to dance like like kind of hip-hop dancing stuff and so like that's kind of like my music thing and i carry a lot of that stuff into my edits and i find that i'm able to have so much more of appreciation for editing on the beat really feeling a music like i'd feel song in dancing and kind of carry that through yeah the edit so yeah like if you're listening to this and you're like man i want to choose better music I want to make better edits, like get into some form of music. It could be singing, it could be instruments, it could be dancing, it could be something. It's going to make your edits like so much better, which I think for you, if you didn't have that music background, I don't think you would have that intuition to choose the songs that you're choosing, right? No. Yeah. And and like having some sort of like just the fact that you played piano, you have some sort of sense of how music works right. to to a degree. You know, I think that is definitely valuable and and um, helpful. So like, yeah, putting throwing yourself into that and kind of studying music a little bit and like, yeah, finding how certain songs make you feel certain ways. You know, I think also with choosing a song, it's like what what about their personality, the couple's personalities, are you trying to portray mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. moment, generally or whatever? You know, because sometimes you can have a couple that's maybe a bit more low energy, but you find a song that while it's kind of a smooth song, but it has a bit more of a rhythm and a beat and that helps bump that energy a little Mm. bit. Like there's things like that that kind of help make things flow, you know? Right, so it probably starts first with with really getting to know the couple so that way you fully understand them and you're like, oh, this song is so them. But you wouldn't know that unless you got to know the couple and then song selection becomes yeah. easier at that point. Yeah, yeah, and just spend time chatting with them and totally. kind of. It's hard to get to know them out of thin air sometimes, but you know, you you, you do have your set questions in a sense that like help you kind of guide the conversation from a business standpoint. Like I I film weddings, like what are you looking for? Um, but um, but from a getting to know them standpoint, it's just chat with them outside of mm. wedding stuff mm. chat with them outside of work you know mm. like when what you're talking it, with them initially what, and, and then on the wedding day so that way you you're coming to yeah. edit with just like oh i know this person as a person not just a prop on a day yeah i mean at the uh, with my calls i try to i spend more time chatting about them and getting to know them and sharing stuff about me mm. you know that obviously relates um uh more than work <laughs> as, as I kind of try to do that yeah. because I, it, it builds that relationship. Now there's obviously also wanting to build value, right? which is incredibly important. But I find if you, at the end of the day, if you, you could have none of the sales call tactics in place, but if you focus on people first and just sharing who you are and really getting to understand them, that's going to speak volumes and it's going to be more powerful than any, you know, step-by-step technique is if you don't have that care genuine care about someone on the phone on the day in yeah. the edit kind of idea. yeah and for me like the times where i've like cared more about like i really need to book this like we're broke this month mm. i need this wedding i don't book it because it comes out somehow it comes for like i'm just a little off socially or i'm a little more hurried or mm. a little more you know uncomfortable with my life, my situation, like those, those, you know, I don't know if that helps, but yeah, I think I've seen that. Difference that that's well. really helpful. Yeah. I think cause it's hard. Cause I think everyone intuitively knows, Hey, if I'm less nervous, I'm going to do better. 
And, but then it's hard to kind of step into that as like, Hey, I do need the check this month, but how do I come across as not needing it <laughs> kind of thing? Um, yeah, it's impossible. It's, the, the balance it's there. so hard, but I think if we were just say one thing is like, Hey, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Like, if you're living at least in the United States, I mean, there's so many opportunities for everything. You're like, I would encourage everyone to think of the worst possible thing that could happen and like write that down and like sit with it for a little bit and be okay with that. And I think that will make all your phone calls, all your interactions, all these things, wedding business related so much better because you've already made peace with like, Hey, if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be okay. And then it gives you so much more, gusto and so much more confidence on these calls because you know hey if they don't book there'll be another inquiry hey if i don't get inquiries for two months and i have to go get this job i've made peace with that and then that gives you so much more confidence in everything yeah i mean we went through i went through literal like stretches where i've tweaked things i had i had a stretch of two years where i changed up my process and i stopped doing calls and I did calls after booking or um, after the sending pricing out. And it, I, dude, I was in a bad spot. Mm. Like, I, you know, I think I booked five weddings one year. Mm. And I was like, uh, <gasps> how is this going to work? You know, things like that, that it was super scary. Um, so that was something that didn't work. It took me two years to switch it back because I wasn't thinking. <sighs> I don't know what I was doing, but you know, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I think that's good. Like thinking through like, okay, if I, I, you know, I have a call in 30 minutes, 20 minutes and it's like, if I blow it, I'm going to, what am I going to do afterwards? Or what, how does my life change? I'm going to, I'm going to go have dinner. I'm going to be bummed, but, uh, like eventually you'll be all right. It, you kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sort through yeah it. No, I, For me, it's always, it's always improvement too. Like people think well this is just how I am this is I'm just not a people person and dude I was not I did not used to be a people person like I've always enjoyed people like genuinely but I wasn't necessarily socially good with people <laughs> and like for me that's always a uh, an improvement thing and that's something that I'm interested in you're not locked into anything you can always be improving yourself or improving I, don't, I always don't lie I never like that excuse well this is just how I am mm. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be, I love you know, it. not in like a cold way, yeah. but in a like, if they're feeling bad about themselves in that regard, it's like, dude, like try, like try to learn how to improve or try this thing. Maybe you're going to look like a goof and you're going to feel like a goof, but the next time you might look a little less goofy and that's all, you know, some cliche stuff, but like, that's literally what has worked for me. Mm. And like, I enjoy that process. Um, and I find it, I just genuinely, I find it interesting too, is like taking little steps and learning a bit more and a bit more because that's helped me a ton, man. Mm. Like, you know, me, when I first started out, I was like this skittish little kid. Um, you know, and now I, I, d I definitely feel more comfortable than I've ever felt with all of the things, but I know hundred percent where I'm like, well, that's not where I want it to be. Mm. Um, and we talked about with the commercial stuff yeah, and all yeah. that, but dude, that's so good. I mean, that's my life too. Like I was just on another podcast and I was like, yeah, I grew up horrible with people and super nervous of doing all these things. Like I remember a couple of years back when I was starting this education side of the business, 
I didn't feel like I was qualified. I was like, who, who could I teach what I know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember a business coach who was at my small group for a, a Christian small group, not business related at all. We just got to talking and I found out he was a business coach and he asked, was asking some questions and I was like, oh, I'm considering doing education, blah, 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 but I don't have, I've never done it before. And he was just like, dude, you're never going to get better unless you suck a couple times. Like he's like, I think he told one thing was really cool. He's like, yeah, you're going to suck at it. Like at first. And my personality is I want to be good at everything from the get go. But him just saying, you're going to, it's not going to go good, but you're going to get better. And I remember that night he sent me. Yeah. And you did it. And I did it. And here we are. And he sent me a really janky contract and I did one of my first ones and it went fantastic. (laughs) And yeah, like, I know a lot of people are scared of phone calls. A lot of people are scared of raising their prices and um, it's going to be awkward at first, but you're going to get better. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, yeah. And I think like with the education stuff, I, I always find that really interesting where it's like, I could start posting or whatever, not me, but just generally you could start posting tomorrow. And if you start posting in whatever, the more you, are present, the more people will look up to you or recognize you or, or look at, look to you as an authority. And, you know, there's plenty of people that did that. You started doing that and, and here we are like, yeah. And even if you, I don't know, anyway, I, I find all that stuff interesting. It, 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 it is super interesting. Maybe you, all you're doing it. You're, you're taking the time to do it when other people aren't. And that's obviously you have a ton of business insights and, and all these people that are doing it do. But they're just, they had an idea and they're taking the time to do it. And even if maybe they weren't any, anything like just ridiculously special or whatever, they did it. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, uh, and now they're, and yeah, and now they've made it. It, it all started out at one stage. That's literally not about anybody in particular, but just like, right. Yeah. It's just the whole idea. The fact that you took, you put yourself out there to do it. Every well-known person that you ever meet sucked at some point like this whole idea of natural talent yes it exists to an extent but your favorite musician your favorite big artist your favorite sports player didn't know how to throw a football at some point didn't know how to sing a note at some point favorite filmmaker didn't know how to edit didn't know how to color correct all everyone starts on this blank slate sure some people have certain intuition because of their culture and upbringing but really what sets the truly great people apart from just the people who aren't doing everything that they want to do is the fact of starting and being okay with failure and just pressing and pressing until they reach to the goal they want to get on. So I, I love this whole idea, this topic and kind of wrapping it up. And I kind of think it uh, boils down to, the, or it can kind of boil down to this. So for you, as you look back in the five or six years or so that you've been doing weddings specifically, like, if you were to go back and talk to brand new Prescott, right? Who's just getting started in weddings. Like, what would you tell him? What would be like the biggest piece of advice that you can tell Prescott, you know, before he began this journey that you're on now? Dude, I don't even know. It could be a couple. Um, I, <laughs> it doesn't have to be one big thing. Yeah. I think the thing that I've been learning and realizing lately about, myself about life generally, to be honest, is, um, 
I, th I think I've been learning recently how much you actually have to pursue what you want or work towards what you want and not just think that the thing will come. Mm, I think that's, that's so good. A lot of people do that. And, and I don't know if it's optimistic, whatever it is, it's like it's young optimism or whatever. It's not bad, but just, I didn't have that perspective that like, I'm going to have to push towards that. Mm. Um, and I think I would have been, I would have for sure benefited. And I wish I had been a little more intentional with my life or myself. Um, I love my life. It's been great, but you know, with myself in, in regards to business and all of that, because, um, I do look back and think about like career wise, I feel like, ah, oh, I probably have, there's some wasted years there where I was kind of floundering. Mm. Now they got to, they got me to here, you know, um, journey wise. But, um, I think those are, those are things I wish I had learned early is like, you're going to have to, it's going to take intention, intentionality and, and things aren't just going to plop in your lap and like, Oh, look at that. Um, yeah, I think on a real level, that's what I've been experiencing and learning uh, lately in life, not even about business for sure, but just life like, Oh, you know, you gotta, you gotta work for these things now. It's not just, I'm going to grow as a person anymore. It's not just going to plop in your lap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever. Oh, there's my house or whatever. <laughs> Dude, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about like setting plans being okay when they fail, not freaking out, but set, set the dang plan. <laughs> like, uh, do something. Yeah. Like one of the things that you do so well is shooting by yourself. I know I kind of opened a can of worms, but I maybe a couple <laughs> quick tips for, cause I know so many people shoot by themselves. Now uh, you've been doing it for so long, maybe just a couple quick action items that you have made solo shooting easier for you that um, you would have wished you would have known when you first started shooting by yourself? I think going into it, because I, I had worked with you and, and some other people, I, I, think, I think I was able to see what was accomplished with multiple shooters. And then um, having done it once or twice on my own, there's the obvious logistical downfall of you're just not going to get as much volume. Um, and for me, you might capture a moment a little less deeply because you don't have two people shooting it. Um, and understanding that and not feeling bad about yourself for it because this has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with just, this is kind of the, the nature of the beast. Um, and then also not stretching yourself too thin as, mm -hmm. as, and in trying to make that gap up um, with cameras uh, during events um, and, and stuff like that. How do you manage Quick answer. How do you, how do you manage like this? Cause I have never shot a wedding solo. I came pretty close a couple months ago where I just kind of had a helping hand to kind of do assistant work. But the biggest stress is like, how do you manage specifically the ceremony with one person? How do you logistically do that yourself? So what I do, you mean like the actual, the actual setup? ceremony setup? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I actually do one camera on either side now. So I do, it's essentially a shot of the bride's face, like a more of a tight, medium tight shot. And then I have a, a zoom on the groom side. And I usually try to have that be a three shot. And then I'll zoom it in during the vows and all that kind of stuff as a two shot of the groom's face to try to match the bride shot. Um, that's how I do it. Excuse me. So I do two tripod cameras and then I roam with the third camera and that way it leaves the aisle clear. So I don't have any like oh, photos, I'm the photo, mm. 
photographer's in my shot and they're not pissed off that I'm just like, don't get in my shot. The center aisle is mine. Um, you know, uh, so um, that way we're able to freely roam as well, for sure. So I, I found that works pretty well. And that doesn't get and then in get you in trouble, like say if they wanted the full ceremony, but you only have those side cameras. Uh, does it get you? In no, because I have the three shot on the one. So I have the officiant. Oh, and then oh I you have, have the two shot of the bride. So I have always that more. I see. So the third shot. So you have the two cameras up front kind of getting bride and groom uh, mm -hmm. across from each other. Then you have that third shot at the back of the aisle in the front of and that's me oh that's you no i'm yeah i roam okay so i'll roam and get creative but those are my shots those are my cameras gotcha okay that's yeah that's actually really cool um and then as far as one other question on that is as far as like the preps in the morning because like i've tried to logistically work out okay how would i do this by myself because one of the nicest things about having two shooters is uh, okay, the bride's getting ready and the groom's getting ready, usually at the same time, and you get them both. And usually as a single shooter, if you wanted to do both, you'd have to get to one earlier. And the bummer with, yeah. say, getting to the guys earlier is they're not really hanging out, so you don't really get that hanging out vibe. You kind of just get them getting mm -hmm. dressed. But then if you get to the girls earlier, they're usually not doing anything. So do you? how do you go about that to where you feel like you get good enough on both the bride and the groom like, how do you logistically schedule that if it's just you and they're getting ready in separate locations? You mean like fully separate locations, like hotel versus the venue? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Sure. I will go with that one. Yeah. That's the extreme. Yeah. Um, I'll start out. Um, it depends on the, the timeline, but if they were getting ready at the exact same time, I would favor the bride stuff and um, all of her prep in that situation. And then before the ceremony or whatever that would be, I would run over a, a bit early to, to or, or when the guys show up at the venue um, and just do a couple staged, you know, the, that stuff. Because you could probably knock that out in what, like five minutes tops. Oh, wow. So you're like, you, know? you would even just say, hey, I'm just not going to get the groom in that scenario until he gets to the venue and I mic him up, essentially. Yeah, and I, and I have him do all that real quick. Oh, because wow. Because that okay. to me... The prep is a story piece, mm -hmm. right? It's like the beginning of the story or whatever. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, you can you can work around it. But now, to be fair, like my my short film is only four minutes long, right? So with four minutes, you could kind of right kind of anything. And then as far as the guys, because yeah, I've definitely out, done. Do you all do you ever like? Hey, ceremony's about to start. Okay, I'm gonna. It's not where you got ready, but I'm just going to get you by this random window or outside. And then do you ever say, hey, I got no guys like hanging out. Do you ever just have them like talk for a second and just like grab something uh, before you like in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get those little pickup shots as needed. Okay. If I'm feeling like I'm lacking in a certain area, I'll just be like, oh, this will probably work. OK, you know, um, but I don't I don't stress out about having hangout footage. Mm. Um Obviously, there's the value of it, and I, I don't like avoid it or anything like that, but that isn't one of the like core things for me. I think that definitely helps with establishing a community feel um, in the film. Gotcha. But I get that through other times of the day, like with prep or uh, not prep, uh, dancing, or sometimes with bridal party stuff, you can kind of capture some of that and um, kind of re rework that it. That makes sense. So, yeah. So, because, yeah, the big stress point as a single shooter ceremony bride and groom preps and i'd say like how do you for a cocktail and then toast yeah toast yeah, but like 
So say if portraits, you have portraits of the bride and groom that is at a different location because I had this just at a wedding uh, recently okay. where different location, but the cocktail, like the ceremony cocktail hour setup, like the decor for the reception, that's what I meant. Uh, the reception decor setup wasn't ready until right when portraits were starting, but that was at a separate location. Um, do okay. you just do portraits and say, hey, I'll get reception decor during toasts, I'll try to get a couple things or you just like, Hey, I'm just not going to get that for this wedding. And that's what it is. Like, how do you get reception decor and portraits if they're happening at the same time? I, um, you know, some couples, if they have a important, like if they're like, really, I want the details, then I'll, I'll figure out a time to run over and get those. Um, or I'll shoot tighter shots so they can't see the work going on. Um, and then I'll get like the bigger shots when the party's happening to kind of help finalize the overall scene or establishment of that place. Um, I've cut it for sure. Cause at the end of the day, like the details, those are pretty things, but the big thing I kind of tell the couple is like, I'm, I'm creating a film about you and that's, I, that's truly actually what I look at at what I do with what we do and what I do is with weddings is I, I don't care. I, I do care, but I don't care about the wedding. Mm. I care about your story in this chapter of life. And like, this is the, you're hiring me to tell the story of the beginning of your marriage, mm. not about this event. Mm. So that kind of helps kind of separate those inanimate details versus like this moment is actually really great. You know, whatever. Gotcha. Okay. So it, it kind of like I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't sound pretentious. No, no, that's, that's like actually truly actually how no, that's I look at excellent. it. Excellent. <laughs> I think that's fantastic, actually. Uh, and it seems like as a solo shooter, you just have to realize you are a solo shooter. So the yeah. the only There's way going to be limitations. Right, the only way you're going to fail and get yourself beyond stressed out if you tr- is if you try to be a two person team while being a one person team. Is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, hundred percent. And so approaching a wedding day and just saying, I am a solo shooter. There's, and sh- you, cause as, as a two person team, you could be like, we're going to do everything. But then as a solo person team, it seems like what I'm hearing is pick your non-negotiables and do those things and know that by picking those things, you're not going to be able to do other things and just let them go. Right. Yeah. Which is hard, but, but then you're still, or it can be, but hard. you're still able, what, what's the incredible thing is, most of your work is solo shooting. And I think the big fear is, oh, if, I'm, if I let these things go, my work's not going to be as good, which means if my work's not as good, I won't be able to raise my prices, which means I won't be able to charge six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000, 5000 whatever it is. But most of your work is solo shooting and you're charging six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000, right? So like, even by saying no to those things, you're still able to command amazing work, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it doesn't, if you make it not about the logistics of the film and the details of what's included, it doesn't matter. Mm. If you focus on you know, really representing the emotion of the day and who these people are, that is more yeah. expensive. If you, can, if you can truly communicate who these people are and the emotions they felt and real, raw, genuine human emotion and showcase that, and cause another person to feel those same things who wasn't at a wedding, that is immediately more valuable and immediately commands a higher price tag 
than including all the things from the wedding day, right? Yeah, yeah. So like with, I, I hear this more than anything else when I when like couples are telling me what they were drawn to about my work. I mean, I ask them like, what what made you stand out, or what made my work mm-hmm. stand out to you? Why why do you want to work with me? Whatever that kind of th- that kind of idea. Um, the thing I get the most, which I really like. Um, is that they they feel like after watching my videos, films, whatever, they they always feel like they know the couple, even though they're just some random couple. Mm-hmm. They always feel like they got to know who those people are, and um, I love that. Like I, that, like really, um, you know, gets me or makes me feel good because that's what I want. You know, yeah. I want to showcase. I want to share a bit of who they are. Mm. You know. Um, so I, that's always when I'm hearing audio, I want to share a bit of who they are as individuals, but w- why they're a good couple Dude, and I love like that. let them celebrate that and like go out into that. That's awesome. Dude. Excellent. That was really, yeah, I was really curious cause I don't talk to many people who are just single shooting and who have done it so well for so long. And of course it's not always beautiful and like perfect, but like you've done it and you're continuing to do it. And I, yeah. I'd say like to wrap up that thought, one thought I had is like, that's what I've done in my own work too, is focus more on the feeling of the film. And so I'd say, if you feel like, man, I'm not able to command higher prices that I want to, like, what is it? Am I not including enough events? Am my camera not good enough? Really, really go out of your way to focus on how can I make someone else feel more a part of the day and the emotion that I'm trying to convey? How can I do that better and make that kind of like your shining star in your edit or in your filming? Of course, we could talk so much more about that in another podcast, which we'll leave that to a separate one. But if yeah, really focus on making your films more feelings based and more emotional. And when you do that, it's going to bring about it a higher price tag. It's kind of like, I think one thing that stood out. Yeah. I think, I think if, if, um, if we can, cause a wedding film is not like it's a product. It's not like it's a, gallon of milk Mm -hmm. i don't know why (laughs) just the product that came to mind (laughs) but like if you that's like something really unique about wedding video even in particular um i think that stands out is that it's not like this hard cut like boom 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 this is the product Mm. it's it's an emotional thing and that's what you're selling you know because like weddings after a while they're all they all feel the same Mm. to a degree you know and, and, but what changes, it's the people, you know? And so if you make it about people and not about a, a thing, that's going to have inherent value because it's emotional. They're drawn to it. They're going to you the whole, the whole thing, you know, I, you probably told me this or mentioned it in, in the course or whatever, like, uh, how awesome would it be if your grandparents could watch, if you could watch a video of your grandparents? Mm. I, that's such a, a heartbreaking but also beautiful mm. thing you know like when you you know i'm at the age now where my i'm starting to lose grandparents like or yeah that's happened so it's like you're like ah that's mm. a bummer in a very real sense yeah. like and and that i think is really cool like being able to look back at some stuff like that be uh, we found some old film of my dad's dad my granddad who passed away when my dad was a baby, but, um, and we were watching that on the TV and I was like, this is awesome. And it was just like handheld, like 
six millimeter. I don't even know what kind of film it was, but like, you know, that's the value. Hmm. Yeah. So I like that stuff. Yeah. I think that's, I find like if I'm wrapped up in my head or feeling like, Oh, I don't know what to do with this film. Like one thought I always come back to is like, okay, if this, if my grandchildren, if this was a film of, or if they're, if this couple's grandchildren was watching, were watching it, what would they care about seeing? And that immediately like centers me and helps me pick the right thing to include or to take out. And I think really makes the whole thing more emotional and cause you're cued into who they are as people and that's the most valuable thing. So dude, love it. Yeah. Alrighty guys. Well that wraps up today's episode with Prescott from our Westward hearts. Be sure to check out his work. You can do so in the links below in the show notes on his Instagram or his website. And also we over at the active have an Instagram as well, where we feature the world's best wedding filmmakers on our Instagram page for you guys to get inspiration, as well as check out our website, theactive.co. There's a bunch more free resources there to improve your life and journey as a wedding filmmaker to help you make more money, book better clients, and create better wedding films. So check out that website below as well. Alrighty guys, well until next time, I'll talk to you later.